0: Shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay. So tonight sheer and any insight or Hisurus that emerges out of the story of Ibn Ahmed should be the Refua Shalema for Rav Chaim and Achim ben Leya, Rav Chaim Kramer from Brussels Research Institute, who has made the Torah of Rabbeinu, Nachal Neveh Makor Chachma, so available to a world. Mom is translating the Torah of Rabbi Nachman for an entire audience that really wouldn't have access to Rabbi Nachman. B'Silch Yisrael So tonight, Bezra Hashem, we're going conti- to continue with the celebration of the Sheva Brachos for the lost beggars who found themselves being married in a pit dug into the mud, covered in dust, branches, and dirt. And tonight is the fourth night of the, 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 fourth night of the Sheva Brachos. After having re-encountered the blind beggar and receiving the gift of old age from the blind beggar and encountering the deaf beggar, and receiving the gift of good life from the deaf beggar, and having met the stuttering beggar on the third night of the Shavar and receiving the gift of eloquent speech, as all of the beggars point out, their apparent deficiency, their apparent mum, their pegam, their darkness, their concealment or their void, is in truth, not only is it not a deficiency, but rather it is the very seat of their uniqueness, reminding us on a certain level, as we hear the story nowadays, that the things that so often appear to be broken and shattered and difficult and dark and pigamim and deficiencies, our deafness and our blindness and our stuttering, are in truth the very locations, the very site wherein we can encounter the true potency of the moment that we find ourselves in. That these destitute creatures, these impoverished creatures, with their deficiency upon deficiency upon deficiency, turn out not only to not be deficient, but to be so full and so whole and so light that they can't find space in this world. And therefore as we encounter the fourth night of the Sheva Brachos and we prepare ourselves to receive the gift of the fourth beggar, the crooked-necked beggar, it's incumbent on us to make space within ourselves for those deficiencies, for those pockets of negative energy that we encounter, which we so naturally and so instinctually want to push away and dispel into the corners to hide them away. But as we Prepare for Pesach, it's time to look at the Chametz and to clean the Chametz and to find the Chametz and to recognize that when we look deeply at those dark crevices of ourselves, not only do we clean house, but we also emerge with newfound gifts that we never knew were there to begin with. On the fourth day of the wedding feast, the young couple remembered the fourth beggar who had given them bread to eat when they were lost in the woods. And again, they began to cry and to long for this beggar. If only the beggar with the twisted neck could be here. And as they were still crying and as they were still longing, he appeared to them and he said, Hineni, here I am. Again, within the yearning, within the desire, within the sense of longing after something that is not present, That longing is that which in and of itself shows us that we always had what we were longing for. And the crooked necked beggar says, Hinani, here I am. I have come to your wedding. And not only that, but I have brought a gift for you that you should be just like me. And today I bless you with the blessing that I offered to you in the forest, except now that I'm going to give it to you as a pure gift on your wedding day. And the Crooked Neck Beggar continues and he says, do you really think I have a twisted neck? My neck isn't twisted at all. On the contrary, I have a very straight and beautiful neck. It is just that the world is full of vanity and empty air, and I don't wish to breathe a single whiff of it. That's why my neck appears as if it were twisted. But not only that, but I truly have a beautiful voice. And I can make all the sounds of the world with my throat. Wonderful sounds without words. And I have the acknowledgement and the testimony of this from the city that was grateful. And the beggar with the twisted and crooked neck began to tell the story of his testimony. And again, very similar to the story that the stuttering beggar spoke of this tale within a tale within a tale within a tale that Rabbi Nachman is offering to us, is not simply packed with the symbolism of Jewish mysticism and Jewish content, but stand alone it is a romantic tale that elicits certain feelings within the listener to the tale of longing and desire, that somehow, even though that desire and that longing can't be satisfied, The very dissatisfaction of the soul is what satisfies the soul. In other words, in most of Rabbi Nachman's stories, the longing and the desire and the yearning for that which is not present never arrives. It never reaches its point of completion. There's no consummation of that desire. But in spite of the fact that the desire is left desiring and the yearning remains entirely within a state of yearning, nevertheless, there's no frustration, there's no angst, there's no anxiety, but rather the very yearning itself and the desire itself and the longing itself seems to offer the soul a nourishment that it didn't even know it needed. As the Pasuk says, to satisfy them within their hunger. Now, the typical way of reading that Pasuk is that there's going to be a hunger, and then in response to that hunger, there will be a satisfaction that comes to annihilate the hunger. But the way chasidus interprets that pasuk is very different. L'achyoysem beraav means to sustain them through their hunger itself. That the desire and the longing that remains unconsummated, the desire and the longing that never arrives at its intended destination, is in and of itself that which gives sustenance and vitality to the soul. That the soul's natural space is one of yearning and desire and longing and anticipation for that which stands right beyond the horizon of the wakeful mind. Never quite within the confines of rational expectation, yet always right beyond the horizon of rationality. So that on a certain level, it's an anticipation without expectation. It's a desire that longs for something without demanding the thing that it desires. And when we can settle into that desire and that romantic form of longing, as Rabbi Nachman is going to remind us of tonight, we can find a unique form of satisfaction that remains satisfied in spite of the continuing dissatisfaction. So that even when we find ourselves at a point of arrested development, incapable or no longer willing to move forward, feeling stuck. Nevertheless, that very stuckness and that very arrested nature can provide with us certain moments of fullness and presence that movement and activity would never be able to give us. And the crooked neck beggar continues and he says, you want to know how I know that I truly have a very straight and beautiful neck? that gives birth to the most beautiful sounds in the world, let me tell you a tale. Once upon a time, there was a country, and all of the inhabitants of this country were experts in the art of music. All of the people, young and old, studied music, and they had attained such expertise that even the novice amongst them was thought a veritable lion amongst musicians in other countries. And suffice it to say that the king, the wise men, and the musicians, in the orchestra were so great in the art of music that it defies description. One day, the greatest men in the state got together to boast of their musical capacity. One said that he could play wondrously on a certain instrument, and another said that he could do the same on another instrument. Another said that he knew how to play many instruments, and still another said that he could play any instrument in the world. And then there was a man who bragged that he could imitate many instruments with his voice. While another said that I could imitate the sound of the drum. And another said that he could imitate the sound of a cannon going off. And I, says the beggar with the twisted and crooked neck, I was there and I stood up and I said, my voice is greater than all of yours. And I will instantly prove it to you. Because if you are truly as talented musically as you say you are, Come and let us see if you can save these two lands, these two countries which are in dire straits. And I, said the twisted-necked beggar and the crooked-necked beggar, I explained as follows. There are two lands a thousand miles apart, and the people in both of these countries can't sleep at night, because every night at sundown, there is a male bird that begins to wail, And far away, in another country, there's a female bird that continues to do the same. And those in each city hear the weeping and the wailing of the birds. And because of the sound of wailing that they hear, they join in until the sound of wailing and crying can be heard everywhere. Even the stones in the walls of these cities have begun to tremble from this awful sound. It is the same in both of these countries, even though they are more than 4,000 miles apart, and the cities nearby these lands hear the weeping and the wailing, and they cannot sleep. And I, says the crooked neck and the twisted neck beggar, said to them, since you are such masters of melody and song, let me see if you can save these two countries. And those who live in your land will finally be able to sleep. And they said to me, Can you lead us there? And I, says the twisted neck beggar, said, Certainly I can lead you there. And they all set off to one of the countries. Just as we arrived, night fell. And we heard the most terrible wailing from every house. Even the master musicians who had traveled with me began to weep and wail because they were filled with a terrible sadness. They said to me, says the twisted neck beggar, where does the sound of this wailing come from? Do you know? I replied, yes, I do know. There are two immortal birds, one male and one female. There is just one pair, and there is none other like them in the entire world. One day a whirlwind struck the forest and tore down their nest. And without the nest, the female bird became lost. She kept flying, hoping to glimpse the nest, but she couldn't find it. She ended up on the opposite side of the world of the male bird, separated from the other bird that could not bear to be without her. And every night she seeks him and he seeks her, and they've missed each other for a very long time. And when they saw that they cannot find each other, they made themselves new nests at the end of the world. The male built his nest close to one of these two countries, and the female built her nest next to the other country. Each country hears one of the birds weeping at night, and as a result, the inhabitants toss and turn and they cannot sleep. And when night arrives, the birds start calling out to each other, And as the night progresses, their calls turn into a painful wailing. And that is why wailing is heard at night in both of these lands. The musicians heard my words, continued the crooked neck beggar, but they didn't want to believe me. They said, can you take us to the place where the birds are nesting? And I answered, yes, I can take you there but you won't be able to bear their wailing. For if the wailing of these cities and these countries bother you, far from the birds, imagine how much worse it will be when you come closer. So the musicians asked me, what can you do about the problem? And I answered, there's something I can do because I can imitate all the sounds in the world and I can throw my voice a great distance so that it isn't heard in the place where I am standing but instead it is heard far away. And it's true that I can imitate the sound of the female bird's voice and I can send it to the place where the male bird is and I can imitate his voice and send it to her. This way they can be brought closer and closer together until they stop mourning and the people in these two lands will be revealed from their distress. And again, the group of musicians says the crooked neck beggar, they didn't believe me until I took them to a forest. And there they heard the sound of a door being opened and closed, and the rattling of the lock when it was locked. And afterwards they heard the sound of a hunting rifle firing, and the voice of the hunter ordering his dog to run and fetch the game and the sound of the dog as he pawed through the snow with difficulty. They looked here and there to and fro, and they couldn't see anything. Nor did they hear the sounds as they came from my mouth, but only from a distance. So they were finally convinced that I could imitate all of the sounds and carry my voice a great distance. Then, says the crooked neck beggar, one of the masters of music said to me, If you are able to bring these birds closer, why do you need our help? And I replied, I could accomplish bringing the birds closer, but after that is when I need your help. Because the people in these lands are exhausted from a lack of sleep, and the sadness of the night affects them all day. And once I have called out to the birds, the nights are quiet again. I will need you musicians to soothe the people of the city with music. The masters of music assured me that if I could take away the wailing they heard all night, they would be happy to play music to the rattled inhabitants. So I drew them a map of how to reach those lands before I set off. I told them, as soon as quiet has been restored to your night, you will know that the time has come to soothe the poor inhabitants who have not slept in so long. Then I set off to see what I could do. I knew that to draw the two immortal birds closer together, I must imitate the song of them both perfectly. So I decided to spend a few nights listening to them so that I can imitate their song. After that, I traveled closer to the male bird and I repeated exactly the love song of the female bird and the same vice versa. After a week, they were close enough for each other to hear the other's song and I no longer needed to repeat their songs. And now that they were closer to each other, They both shed their grief and repeated their love songs. For as long as they heard each other's song, they felt reassured that they would eventually be united. Now when the music masters returned home, they discovered that the people were much happier and they were no longer tortured by the wailing of the birds. And the musicians began to play their music and brought joy back to the world. So you see that everyone in the state agrees that I have a beautiful voice and that I can imitate every kind of sound in the world. So my wedding gift to you is that you should be just as I am. And there again was a great happiness and a rejoicing at the wedding, deep within the pit, dug into the mud, covered in dust, twigs, and garbage. Now, the crooked necked beggar is the individual who's unwilling to breathe in the world because the breath of the world, the sounds of the world, the air of the world are polluted with such shortness of breath, with such despondency, with such hopelessness that the world is filled to the brim with a negative form of air an air that paradoxically suffocates those who breathe it in. The crooked-neck beggar appears to have a crooked neck because he's unwilling to exhale. He's unwilling to breathe the same air as the rest of the world. Because when the world becomes saturated and when the world becomes so overtaken by negativity and shortness of breath and difficulty, and overwhelmingness and anxiety, even the mere act of breathing in that air can pollute the mind. So the crooked necked beggar begins to breathe of his own air, is only willing to breathe in the air that breathes positivity within himself. For Rabbi Nachman, breathing takes up a remarkable amount of space in his recorded Torahs, in his written Torahs, as well as in his verbal expressions that a student, Rabbi Nassan would record. That breath is the life force of an individual. That v'yipach be'apav nishmas chayim, that we're told at the beginning of the creation of human beings, that God, so to speak, breathed breath, into the nostrils of human beings. And just as our life depends every moment on our capacity to inhale and to exhale on a physical and physiological level, so too on a spiritual level, our lives depend on our capacity to inhale, to draw into ourselves sustenance, courage, hope, and to exhale, and to return back into the world, and to take those strengths that we've so desperately cultivated for ourselves, and to use them for our betterment, for our spiritual development. Rabin Nachman writes that just as inhaling and exhaling are expressive of a dual movement, a movement inwards and a movement outwards, a moving and a retreat within the self, and then once again, a movement outwards back out of the self, so too our spiritual lives are comprised of this two-step dance, this running and returning, this rutza vishov, this movement inwards and this movement outwards. But there comes a time, as the crooked-neck beggar teaches us, where the world itself is darkened to such an extent that breathing and drawing in sustenance from the world and taking our spiritual and psychological capacity and processing that information and then moving back out into the world, where it becomes overwhelmed by the air of despondency, by the polluted breath and the shortness of breath, the unwillingness to take a deep breath or the impossibility of taking a deep breath, and so the crooked neck beggar appears to be short of breath, appears to not know how to breathe. But in truth, as he tells these beggars in the mud, I am simply waiting to breathe properly. You think my neck is crooked? You think I don't know how to breathe? You think I don't have the straightness of air that can move inwards and outwards? I have the straightest neck there is. I can breathe better than anybody else, but the whole air of the world is so polluted and so broken and so darkened that I don't wanna partake in it. And the crooked neck beggar begins to explain to the children, to the lost beggars who are being married in the pit, in the mud, how to learn how to breathe properly. Now, This is when the Crooked Neck Beggar describes his tale, how he knows that not only can I breathe properly, not only can I breathe deeply in and be ma'arich af, to spend time inhaling and to hold the breath and to not let myself give in to the impulsivity of exhaling immediately but rather holding the breath and cultivating a patience. A patience that is so great that it overtakes anger. The anger that is so often expressed with the shortness of breath. With the hot air that descends out of the nostrils. Of charon af. Of a furious anger. The crooked neck beggar wants to teach us how to inhale properly how to take, like Rabbi Nachman describes, a deep breath. Even as the stormy waters of daily life surround us, even as the world continues to burn in its individual and collective way, Rabbi Nachman teaches us, through the crooked-necked beggar, how to take a deep breath how to inhale for a moment and to suspend our need to know everything rationally and to live internally within the cavities and the recesses of our lungs as they expand. As we retreat into ourselves in the hopes of cultivating more patience, more willingness to confront a world that seems to be suffocating. And the crooked neck beggar Not only does he say that I have the straightest neck there and that I know how to breathe better than most, but he continues and he says that my breath, my throat, it can also make the most beautiful sounds in the world. Now, how does this crooked neck beggar know that the sounds that emerge out of his throat are the most beautiful? His testimony comes because he was able to offer appeasement to the city that spent its night sobbing and wailing. The world is that city. The world is the city that is sobbing and wailing, where each person stays awake in their beds at night, incapable of falling into the promise of comfort that slumber offers because our hearts are awake and our minds are awake with all sorts of different images and fears and concerns and anxieties. And our sleeplessness and our insomnia gives way to a wailing, a crying, an inaudible sense of woe is us and woe is the world. Each and every person in their own hearts has that silent cry that keeps them awake at night. It keeps them awake even when they fall into physiological sleep. It's the sound that animates the dreams that we experience with a sense of longing, with a sense of not being able to reach what we have or what we want, with a sense of loss of control, with a sense of not being in charge of how things go. And even our nights and those pockets wherein we're meant to find energy and recharge ourselves are overcome by a despondency, are overcome by the general sense of wailing in the world. Like the deaf beggar taught us on the second day of Sheva Brachos, that I don't hear anything because all sounds in this world emerge out of deficiency. All noise in the world Is born out of what we don't have and these two cities which are a thousand miles apart from one another remain awake terrified and anxious unable to find the comfort that we so desperately need the wisdom of the crooked necked beggar is the awareness of where this longing and this yearning comes from Because we can look at the world, and we can see the crying, and the wailing, and the darkness, and the despondency, and the tzebrachinkayt, and the hopelessness. And we can look at it, and we can say, this is simply a symptom of what reality is. This is just how human beings react to a world on fire. They cry, and they wail. And their wailing is without reason, without a deeper meaning, without any essential content but rather it is simply the existential human reaction to a world that loses itself. But the crooked-necked beggar who is unwilling to breathe of that poisoned air comes along and says, no, chas v'shalom. The wailing that you hear so loud, the wailing that keeps you up in the heart of night, that wailing that doesn't offer you even a moment's of rest, it's not happenstance. It's not some symptom of some condition, but rather it symbolizes the deep longing and yearning that exists from the time that the world was created until the coming of Mashiach. The crying that we have is simply a reaction to the crying that we hear in the world of the separation between the two great birds that once upon a time there was connectivity. Expression found its receptacle of containment. Light found its vessel. God, so to speak, found its people. Prayer found its direction. Daily engagement found its purpose. But since being exiled from the Garden of Eden, since the inception where life became deferred where life became a reaction to some primordial mistake that connectivity between Hashem and the world between human beings and their point of desire between intention and culmination between desire and actualization between potential and actuality between masculinity and femininity between expression and receptivity, between light and darkness, between day and night, between fear and courage, between happiness and sadness, between the brain and the heart, between man and his fellow, between woman and her fellow, between families, between companions, between neighbors, between countries, between each and every person within themselves, has been fissured, has been cut, has splintered away into the duality that we live within. And that duality and that gap pollutes the air and it creates a longing and it creates a yearning that when not tended to properly, leads the countries astray into a wailing and into a despair. So that if we don't mind and we're not careful enough to remember where the true wailing comes from, which is the separation between one thing and its other, we heaven forbid fall prey to the belief that the wailing and the despondency and the sadness and the breathlessness and the shortness of breath and the anger and the terrible sounds that we all hear are simply human reactions to meaninglessness. But what the crooked necked beggar comes to teach us Is that no, your human frailty, your human yearning and the pain and the insomnia that keeps you up at night. And the sense that something rests just beyond the horizon prepared to enter into our world by way of surprise, by way of a gift, by way of annihilating anything we could have conceived of that all comes from the deepest archetypal desire, which we feel and God feels, so to speak, which is the desire for the ultimate unity, for the desire for reconnection. The longing and the crying that the great birds express is not a mournful crying over a relationship that once was and will no longer be. It is a crying and a mourning over the fact that we know there will be a reconnection. We know there will be a marriage once again. We know that even if that marriage takes place deeply buried in the mud, covered in trash and twigs and dirt, we know that there will be a reunification. And because we know that that reunification stands at the ready to take place, The wailing and the crying and the longing are indicative and symptomatic of the deep desire we have for reconnection. It's not some despondent, mournful breathlessness. It's not some funeral hymn. But rather, it is a deep, affirmative expression that I will not stop longing I will not stop crying. I will not stop desiring and yearning for reconnection because reconnection is the only thing that I truly believe in. That is what the crooked neck beggar is teaching us. You think I can't breathe? You think I can't make sounds? I can make the most beautiful sounds in the world. I can breathe the deepest breath in the world. But everybody else's breath is rooted in mourning is rooted in some feeling that there was once a connection and now we live in a world of disconnection. My breath, my sounds, they come from a place of a belief in a future reconciliation, in a future unity which will take all despair and all distraction and all desperation and all disunity and it will show how ultimately it was part of the beautiful fabric of unity, of the connection between the head and the heart. The neck is that very thin bridge, that Geshart Sarma Ma'od, that connects our rational logic, our intellectual proclivity to know what is up and what is down, and between our heart, the seat of subjectivity, the seat of faith, which sees beyond rationality. The neck is the space of das, of connection, of unifying shamayim and arets, of forming relationships that seem to have lost their connectivity. You think my neck is crooked. You think I don't know how to breathe or speak or make sounds because I don't know how connection works. I have the straightest neck in the world because I still believe in the possibility of connection. I still believe that that which is disunited, that which is untied, can once again be tied. That door that is now open can once again be closed, or that door that is now closed can once again be open. And it's my voice, it's the sounds that emerge out of my mouth, out of my throat, says the Tzadik, that can settle the hearts of the world that can remind the world as they stay up in their terrified and existential insomnia, that doesn't give them even a moment's rest, it's my sounds that can offer them comfort, that can tell them that yes, things are disconnected, yes, that wailing that you hear from these two birds that sit at opposite sides of the world, at opposite sides of reality, Yes, that wailing that you hear so profoundly is a terrifying wailing. It's a wailing of loss and death and destruction and disconnection and duality and despondency and confusion and fear and anxiety and loss of hope. But if you listen closely, if you hear the sound within the sound, if you hear the sheer hashirim, if you hear the song that the song itself sings, then what you will hear is a yearning for reunification, a song that stands at the ready to be sung, as if all of the mournful tunes that we hear are simply the preemptive notes that will lead to the Nigun hachadash, to the new song that comes from the throat of the breathless and crooked necked beggar which is yashir? then I will sing. You think I don't know how to make noise? I can make the greatest noises in the world. I can throw my voice from here to there. I can echo as a ventriloquist and send my voice miles away. What does it mean to send one's voice? What does it mean to engage in an action of making a noise here? and only hearing the sound miles and miles away, what does it mean to engage in action over here with the belief that the response and the effect of our action will take place miles away without any apparent connection between the two of them? Like a ventriloquist who throws his voice or her voice from one place to another It's the willingness to believe that even though our actions in this moment don't provide us with any recognizable reaction or goal, nevertheless, we hold on to the deep-seated belief and faith that our actions in this space right now will have a lasting impact in the future. That as our tzaddikim tell us, and as Rabbi Nassan and Rabbi Nachman taught us more than anybody, there is not a single breath, sigh, sound, cry, laugh, smile, word of prayer, word of Torah, word of hope that loses itself. It all exists. It all continues perpetually. Hidden within the recesses of creation beneath that which was concealed from the six days of creation. Everything we do leaves a lasting imprint, a Roshem, on our souls, on the world at large. And it's the amuna of the crooked-necked beggar that I can throw my voice. I can speak here and see the reaction miles and miles away. As Rebbe Nachman tells us, about the broken-hearted tzaddik, the broken-hearted tzaddik who felt despondent, felt incapable of connecting to God, felt incapable and lost entirely without the ability to find even the slightest semblance of faith or trust. And then, slowly but surely, Rabbi Nachman tells us, this tzaddik continues to remind himself Of the irreducible trace of holiness that exists within his soul. I am a Jew. I have an Hashama. And that alone is enough. And by grabbing hold of those irreducible points of positivity, this despondent tzaddik, or this master of sadness, or this hayusurin, the individual who experiences suffering, this tormented master. By way of holding on to even that slightest belief of hope, he begins to elevate himself off of the ground. He begins to float. And then he begins to fly. And he begins to move from world to world, Rabbi Nachman describes. Wondering all along in a very self conscious way how in the world am I going to get home? How in the world am I going to get back to the place where I began? But nevertheless, the air that allows this tzaddik, which is each of us, to fly. That slight belief in the self allows the individual to fly. As Rav Kook says, You have wings of your soul. And suddenly, Rabin Nachman tells us the tzaddik begins to lose the air that was carrying him. And his flight begins to stutter and he begins to fall back to earth. And he's convinced that I'm going to be miles and miles and miles away from where I started. But the miracle, Rebbe Nachman says, is that this tzaddik, this despondent tzaddik, this master of sadness, who flew through universes by grabbing hold of the slightest layer of hope, instead of finding himself miles and miles away, he finds himself in the exact same place that he took off from. And Rabbi Nachman ends that particular story by saying that it was a wonder in this person's eyes. How could it be that I started off here and I felt that I had traveled miles and miles and I ended up in the same exact point? And Rabbi Nachman says that he took out a measuring stick and lo and behold, it was revealed to him that in fact, he didn't return to the very exact spot from which he took off, but rather he had moved but a hair's breadth. The idea is that even the slightest movement of the soul, even the slightest grasp of hope and intensity and the willingness to throw ourselves into that abyss of faith that lives beyond rational awareness can travel miles and miles and miles in the spiritual, psychological, and internal realms. And even though in this world, when we measure it, it simply appears as if we've moved only but a hair's breadth. nevertheless, we can do something from where we're at and we can throw our voice miles and miles and miles away. That belief that the crooked neck beggar offers us, that ability to inhale and hold our breath and to believe once again in the possibility and the promise of reunification of reconnection when things that were torn apart and torn asunder will once again be sewn together that that tornness of our experience will once again be secured together to create a newfound level of unity that is the power of the soul that says even though i don't see how my hope and my faith are doing anything right now Nevertheless, I believe that it can work, and it will work, and it is working at this present moment for the future. But Be'ezrus Hashem, what we're going to see on Monday night is we're going to encounter the hunchback beggar, the beggar who carries the burden of the world on his shoulders, the beggar who seems to be so weak and so beaten down, by the process of life, that he can no longer tolerate anything. But in truth, his back is stronger than anybody. And he carries the burdens and the worries and the anxiety of the world on his shoulders. And Bezras Hashem will create the opportunity for us to receive the gift of the hunchback beggar as well. Bezras Hashem.